Hey there, this is Terry Murison uh, with Dispatches from Out West. I'm coming to you from uh, St. Gertrude's Monastery in Cottonwood, Idaho, where I am roughly halfway through my 30-day residency. Um, I'm having a great time. Today, I wrote a story about something that happened to me um, that um, I, th I still think about from time to time. Um, and I wanted to tell you about it. The professor and I used to watch I Survived. It was a dramatic reality series that showcased the stories of people who found themselves in mortal trouble, but lived to tell about it in their own words. Maybe you've seen it. There were amazing true stories uh, of surviving against, against incredible odds. The professor and I would watch horrified as they overcame things like serial killers, domestic violence, sexual abuse, kidnappings, blizzards, lethal chlorine gas, the lethal chlorine gas released in a train wreck, uh, shipwrecks and waters teeming with bloodthirsty sharks, attacks by enraged grizzly bears, and worse, we still watch the reruns. Well, the other day here at St. Gertrude's, I told a few sisters about not being raped or murdered myself once and, and why, of being spared by a still small voice. This morning, I got to thinking that I wish they and you could have seen my story on I Survived Too. It would make for a much better story on TV with the first person narrative, dramatic music, photos, and black screen. Since there is no such show though, I thought I'd tell it to you like there was, as if I Survived Too is a real thing. So picture this, you see a black screen, a title comes up that says, I Survived Too. Terry, Merced, California, 1987. And the screen goes black and I start speaking. It was about 11 at night, I think. I was 22 and married to the professor. He was a trout farmer then out on the Merced River in Central California. The screen goes black, cut to Terry in front of the screen. Terry speaks. We had a pretty little cottage on the banks of the river then. And we were happy. We lived out on this farm where we worked for my father-in-law raising rainbow trout. Across the cool, clear river was a nice little town where we got our mail, a county park, and a few houses on the outskirts. To get to the other side of the Merced River, we had to drive downriver to the main highway and across a bridge. Everything was either across that bridge or the other way in the city of Merced over 20 miles from the farm. On our side of the river, above the floodplain with its thick woodlands, there was a turkey farm and a cattle ranch. In the spring, the hillsides were emerald green, but in the summer, it was empty, sun-bleached, wide open countryside with rolling hills as far as you could see down toward Merced. There weren't even cows out there that time of year. To get off the farm for groceries or a church, we would drive three miles on a gravel road next to a deep, fast-moving irrigation canal 
We'd stop at a locked gate to unlock and then relock it, and then drive several miles on a deserted county road before we got to the main highway leading into Merced. It was about eight more miles, maybe nine, and four long straightaways before we'd get to a tree or a house. And Merced was about four miles past that. Going back home was the same, but in reverse. Now I see a black screen again, dramatic music, and a cut to a photo of the starry night sky. I'd been in Merced with friends that night. It was late, but it was still hot, so I'd rolled down my window. I'd gotten used to going out alone at night and coming home late. If the professor didn't go, I went by myself or I stayed home. Where we lived was safe enough. The only gangs around in those days were two and a half hours south in Fresno or on the other side of Merced. And I was careful. I have this sixth sense about danger, but there wasn't anything that signaled that this night might be different. Before I left Merced's last subdivision on my way back to the farm, I looked behind me and then a mile or two ahead, like I always did, to make sure there weren't any suspicious looking cars anywhere. If I'd have seen something, a car that triggered alarm bells, I would have turned into the subdivision and circled back around to see if it was following me. None ever was, but I always watched anyway because once I left the subdivision, there was no turning around, no houses, no other roads, only the long, lonely, empty highway. So that night, as I went through my leaving Merced safety check, I was satisfied nobody was following me. There were no headlights behind me and only one set of taillights up ahead. And I didn't usually worry about those so long as they kept a consistent distance ahead. I started out the first long straightaway and I passed the taillights that I'd seen ahead of me. It was a slow moving, late model, light colored Honda Accord. Back then, Accords were the vehicle of choice for young families and the upwardly mobile. They didn't even register on my watch scale. But a mile or so after I passed it, the Accord caught up and sped past me, disappearing around a bend. By the time I got to the next straightaway, it was nowhere in sight. I still wasn't worried. The Accord was long gone. Then we cut to a black screen. There's a picture of a car on a deserted highway at night. You hear eerie music, and I start speaking again. But around another bend, and after a few more miles on the right shoulder, there was the Accord again. It was pulled over with its emergency lights flashing. I rolled up my window. As I slowed to pass, I could see there were several people inside, but I didn't stop. I passed cautiously. I checked, but there weren't any other lights in front of or behind me, and I kept going. Maybe they really needed help, but it wasn't coming from this woman all by herself so late at night. I turned another bend onto the fourth straightaway, and I lost sight of the taillights still flashing behind me. Suddenly, the Accord roared up behind me, flashing its headlight and riding my bumper. 
I was still unconcerned, but I was confused. I was I was trying to put the actions into context with what I assumed about the Accords occupants. Bad guys don't drive Honda Accords, I thought. It didn't make sense. I looked ahead again to see if someone might come to my aid, but saw we were still all alone on the highway. It was just the Accord and me. Then, as I watched it in my rearview mirror, this thought popped into my head. It was, say aloud, what Elisha did in 2 Kings 6, 17, when the blind Arameans attacked him. So I did. Without taking my eyes off the accord, I said from memory, there are more with me than with them. Lord, open their eyes so they can see the hills full of horses and the chariot fires all around this car. I said it just about that emphatically. And the words had no more come out of my mouth than the accord swerved out from behind me, passed and rocketed ahead. I'll never know what the guys in the accord saw, but their reaction was explosive. The accord zoomed off like the hounds of hell or maybe horses and burning chariots were on its back. I watched its taillights for several miles before it was out of sight. I still wasn't afraid, and I never saw it again. I wonder about the guys in the Accord. I assume they were men. I wonder why didn't they do whatever it was they had planned for me? If they had intended to rape, murder, or otherwise harm me, why didn't they? Why was I spared when so many others aren't. I wonder too why, despite my sixth sense for danger, why wasn't I frightened even when they tried to stop me? There were three of them and only one of me. What could I have done? <laughs> Did they really see horses and chariots of fire around my car or maybe a guardian angel riding shotgun on the roof? I like to think so. Whatever it was, it saved me. I survived too, because I heard a still small voice telling me what to do and then did it. I survived because they didn't rape, murder, or even stop me. I survived because it wasn't my time. Maybe because the guys in the accord lost their nerve. And maybe because they saw something they didn't understand, something that scared them and protected me. I survived too. You know, now that I think about it, maybe I should ask the sisters if they'd like to hear my story again. I guess at the heart, I'm really pretty dramatic too. <laughs>